When I was a boy, my grandmother lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I used to go visit her in the summer, not knowing that you probably should visit people who live in Florida in the winter. But I used to go visit her in the summer, and we would spend a month or so in Florida, my brother and I. And my grandparents would take us to places like Disney World and down to the Keys, and we'd go snorkeling and camping and spend a lot of t- great times in Florida doing many things. Well, I remember one time we went to Cape Kennedy, Cape Canaveral, the, the launch pad for the, um, the space mission, and, and did this big tour all around. And at one point in the tour, the, the tour guide took us into this room. It was a big room, uh, you know, a, a control room, probably about the size of this room here. And it was just like you see in TV with all the banks of computer-like equipment looking uh, up to this big screen in the front. And, and we got to walk through and look at all these uh, different instrument panels. But other than the, the people who were on the tour, the room was completely empty. And so it was kind of eerily quiet in this big room. That you knew that um, as a boy, you'd seen on television and, and you knew about the, the way that it was going to be when there was a launch or, or a return mission. You know, that people would be here and, and they would be working and busy and there would be all kinds of bustle and energy. I remember at one point the tour guide, I must have been about nine or ten, and the tour guide saw me looking at all these buttons on the control panel. And you know how you are when you're nine or ten and you want to see the, all these buttons and, and you just want to reach out and touch them, right? And, and she says to me, well, you can touch any of them you'd like, just don't touch that big red one. <laughs> well, <laughs> the only one I really wanted to touch after that was the big red one, right? And so I waited until she turned away. And I wondered if maybe I had set off some rocket somewhere in the world after I touched it and blamed it on my brother. Uh, it was a quiet room. A really quiet room. Big. You knew, though, that there was going to be energy in there soon enough. And, and I kind of felt disappointed. I kind of felt like I was a little bit robbed. I got to see the room, but none of the energy that really went into it. It was just a quiet, empty control room. It reminds me of another visit I did. This one only about five years ago. I went and I spent a, uh, a week at, in Gethsemane Monastery near Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Uh, the monks at Gethsemane um, are Benedictine monks. And they practice um, not a vow of silence, but they practice long periods of intentional silence. Not using any idle word. And for them, lots of words are idle. And so most of their day, they spend in silence with one another, um, in contemplation. It's the place where Thomas Merton lived and, and ministered and, and where he wrote many great books. And, and so I was excited to be there. But I have to admit that they expected the guests to keep silence just like them. Uh, I'm not a monk, you know, and by intention. And so I get there, and, and I'll tell you about the first day, it was awful. It was dreadful. I would see my friends walking around because a bunch of us went together. But we wouldn't talk to one another. And even when you sat down to eat your meals, there were little signs on the tables that said, Silence is spoken here. As if to remind you, not even here is there a place for chit-chat. Keep quiet all the time. Do you know what happens when you're an extrovert and you're used to talking and you're used to being in conversation and all of a sudden you are sealed off and there is no conversation allowed? Well, the noise in your head is unbelievable. 
It's like there are screamings and all the voices and all the conversations that you've heard for the last week or two all come back at the same time. You hear cars and things that aren't even there. They're in your ears constantly. And this is what I found. And it happened like this for about the first day or two that I was there. But on about the third day of fasting words, something happened. A real sense of solitude and a real sense of peace. All the voices in my head, even the ones that are usually there, all vacated. That was a joke. I thought it was kind of funny. They all, they all were gone. And the only thing I could hear, the only voice that I began to hear, was the voice of God. And I realized, as I got towards the end of that week, why someone would give their life to doing something that up to that point, it seemed to me so crazy. As we read through the text today, we read about this man named John. It begins with a power parade, doesn't it? Did you catch all the names? And you're thinking to yourself, why did Luke bother to record all these in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Tricontius, Lysantius Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And you say to yourself, do we really need all these names, Luke? Do we really need this whole litany of, of people who were governors and rulers in the area? Yes, we do. We need this power parade because this, we think, is where, where all the most important things come from in life. From Washington, or London, or Paris, or Moscow. The seats of power maybe in Columbus, or wherever it might be for you. The, the seats of power, and all the places, and not just political power. Annas and Caiaphas are mentioned as well, right? Pol religious power, and religious power in the first century was real, especially among those who ruled in the temple, because their relationship to, to Rome was getting very, very cozy. They rather liked the relationship. Because Rome was very much very happy to allow the Jews to have their religion so long as it didn't interfere with what they wanted to do. As long as the Roman program was okay, well, there was no problem having your own religion. And so it was a very convenient form of Judaism. And Luke tells us all about them. The power parade is going on, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of it, we have something that sounds very much like an Old Testament writing. The word of the Lord came to the son of Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah the prophet. The word of the Lord came to Malachi the prophet. The word of the Lord came. He, Luke is saying, in the midst of this, this conglomerate of power, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. The prophet goes to the wilderness. The wilderness is an interesting place because it's a launch pad for lots of revolutions. This is where you go if you're ready to, to, to stage a revolt because the Romans don't want to go to the wilderness either. But John doesn't go to the wilderness to prepare a revolution. Well, at least not the kind of revolution that most people want to launch. He goes to the wilderness to hear a word from the Lord. And the word comes to him. It's a word that is not a word from the politics, politicians. It's not a word from the religious leaders. It's not even a word from his own family. A pious religious family. The word of the Lord comes to John and it is a word from the Lord. It's a word that has a, with a mission. John, you have a message to preach. You have a message to preach. Go preach repentance. 
go preach this message um, that, uh, that people are to turn from their sins and prepare the way of the Lord. Now, the word repentance, I think for us, kind of has um, kind of strange connotations. It's like, um, feel real guilty for what you've done in the past and stop doing it. Um, it it's, it's like your mother telling you to behave when you're a child or your father. You, this, is a, this is a naughty child sort of phrase, I think, in our ears. But that's not the way that John uses it. And I don't think that's the way it's intended. Uh, my, my friend uh, Kirby, he, um, we, were, we were great friends growing up, and he went to Catholic school. I was a Protestant, so we didn't have to do all the things that he had to do. Um, and the nuns, I never had any nuns that would slap me on the hands either. But he would tell me about confession. And he said when they went to confession that uh, they would kind of write out lists, okay? And, and, uh, and they would share lists in line. You know, the, the fellows would look, oh my goodness, what were you doing? And, um, and then they would say, no, uh, here about, how about you scratch out this one and we'll, we'll call it something else. And, and they, would, they would kind of minimize their list a little bit. We have our list of sins in our minds. And John says, repent. And he doesn't mean that we form a list of sins. Sure, that's appropriate. We need to, we need to own up and recognize what we're doing. But what he uses here is a word in Greek, metanoeo, to change your mind. To rethink what God is doing. And rethink about the way that God is working in the world. And it's not about politics or cozy religion. That God is about to do something that is altogether radical and different in the world. You see, my focus today is not so much on what John had to say, but on how it was that he was the one who said it. How was it that John heard this message, this radical message from God? And you know, don't you? He went to the wilderness. And it's in going to the wilderness that John had a reorganization of priorities. It suddenly wasn't about what he wanted to do. And about what he thought was best in the world, he suddenly got to hear, you know, that God has a plan and a program. I know, that's shocking, isn't it? God actually has an idea about what he's going to do in the world. And we get to participate in it. But the way that we have to hear it is in solitude and in quietness and in drawing away and and intentionally listening for the word of the Lord. But not now. We have too much to do. Advent is a very busy time, isn't it? I mean, you think of all the people that you love and you want to buy gifts for and all the people that you need to send cards to and there are letters to write and there are, there are things to do. There are parties to go to, which are great and I love them and if you invite me, I'll come. And there are all kinds of great things to do and, and, and we want to write it and, and, and the children have school programs and, and they're great to go to and we want to go and be part of those. And all of a sudden... This time of waiting and anticipating and listening to the Lord suddenly is a calendar filled with events. And the only voices we hear are the voices around us. Is this the way that we prepare the way for the Lord? Is this the way that we hear God talking to us? A couple years ago I went with some friends to a concert. They were college students. And uh, they were a little older, they were about to graduate, so uh, they were, uh, you know, towards the, their senior year in, in college. And, and we went to see the Black Keys. I don't know, probably nobody here knows who the Black Keys are. But it's a, uh, it, oh, it, what a, it's kind of a bluesy rock band from, uh, from Akron here, in fact. And we went to see, see them in Columbus, and, and we went in, and it wasn't a really big venue. It was kind of a small room, a, a couple thousand people in it, and they were loud. I mean, they were really loud, you know, lots of amplifiers and 
And I remember my friend Clay and I, we were standing right next to each other, and we were trying to talk to each other. And I, I was, you know, we could shout, and you, you really couldn't hear one another. And so we quit trying to talk to each other, and we just listened to the band. And after about an hour and a half or two hours, the, the show was over, and we went outside. And, and we were trying to talk to each other, and, and our voices are still a little bit strained, and, and we could still have the ringing in our ears, and we could barely hear one another. And my friend Clay says, hey, I know we're a great place where we can get burritos, and they're as big as your head. And he was right. We went in, and the sign on the front said, we make burritos as big as your head. And uh, we went in, and, and we had some burritos, and, 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 and suddenly we, we started to hear one another a little better. The ringing settled down just a little bit, and we could hear each other talk. And then on the way home, you know, the ringing kind of went away a little bit more, and, and in a quiet car, we could, we could talk to one another a little better. We could understand one another a whole lot better. And we live in a world, don't we? That's a lot of noise. A lot of noise. But if we'll take time to get quiet and listen, God speaks. He wants to speak to us. He's, he's longing to speak to us and trying to speak to us. We just need to be quiet long enough to hear Him. Amen.